This is Jonathan Greer, pastor at Franklin Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. And this is a special edition of the Small Church Shepherds podcast. Uh, Small Church Shepherds exists to equip, enrich, and encourage small church shepherds. We're at the G3 conference outside of Atlanta, having a good time, listening to a lot of good preaching. I have a good friend with me, Jesse Watkins. He's from Concord, North Carolina. And we are going to have a talk about disaster relief and how the small church pastor can help equip and mobilize his church to respond when disaster strikes in your community or in your state. So, Jesse, tell them uh, a little bit about your church. Tell them, you know, name your church, size, that kind of thing. And then we'll go for there. Sounds great. Jonathan, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, greetings to everyone who's listeners there. Uh, my name is Jesse Watkins. I've been pastoring at Friendship Southern Baptist for seven years now. I'm currently their longest tenured pastor, which is a uh, another podcast probably for another day, but it's been a, a blessing. And uh, we are a, a, I would call it a medium-sized church. Um, so we're, you know, uh, 250. And... Um, we run two services, so we kind of have a small building. We don't have a really big yeah. building. Run two services on Sunday, Sunday school in the middle. And uh, everything, everything's just, it, you know, it's been a process, but God is doing a lot. So I'm excited and, and glad to talk to you about that disaster relief. So what experience have you had been kind of forced to have with disaster relief at your church in the past? I know of at least this most recent hurricane, but has there been anything else that you've had to deal with um, at a local level with disaster relief? Um, Our Baptist men have actually stepped up fairly well and done some service-related projects, such as when storms would come through the area, we would have uh, some Baptist men who would respond, you know, with chainsaws. Um, we've had, this is not necessarily disaster relief, but we've had some, you know, families who've had emergencies, maybe someone had a surgery, and uh, our, our Baptist men would go build a wheelchair ramp. And mm-hmm. so um, we have a, a mindset of, I guess, you know, response. Mm-hmm. And, and wanting to do something. And so I think it first begins with a mindset of saying, what can we do? Uh, what are the avenues that we can do it through? And uh, that it's actually possible for a small church to do something. So when you, when you start with that mindset that, hey, we may only have, you know, 30, 50 people, but there's something we can do. And I think that's the situation that we're going to talk about with the hurricane in the fall. Uh, that's kind of where I was. I really didn't know what we can do, but I wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of started off the process there after the hurricane. Okay. So let's start there then. You have, you're watching the weather. Hurricane is coming. Very likely the path is going to go over where your church is or near your church. Um, what starts going off in your mind? As a well, pastor, let's just start on an individual level. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a dad, got three children. Uh, we live in in the middle of the woods, um, so I'm getting the generator out, um, getting the chainsaws out, uh, checking the kerosene lanterns, just different things like that. And so I think a mindset of readiness, like if you're not prepared for something, 
you can't help other people be prepared for something. Yes. So as this stuff's going through my mind, I'm texting all my deacons saying, hey, deacons, check on your widows, your single moms. We do deacon family ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, check on your widows, your single moms. See if they're, they have preparations. Do they have people that may have a generator in case power goes out? Do they have uh, somewhere that they can go in case they don't have uh, electricity or, or hot water or something? And so that was probably the first step, mm-hmm. saying, hey, let's contact our people and see if our people have any needs, you know, uh, and, and going ahead and say, okay, if something does happen and you have a need, then our instruction is contact your deacon. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, this, this past go-round, our, our church locally didn't have any needs. I did. I think we were without power for, I want to say, two, two and a half days where I lived. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I had the generator going. But um, our deacons did a good job of contacting their people. Yeah. Well, and that's something and that's probably for another podcast we need to have um, is 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 on this the deacon deacon family relations because um, and I've, I've served at churches too that have that very well very well set up and it, it, it helps um, in disaster relief situations like you're bringing in is just a great example of when that type of system where you have deacons assigned to families that they they're checking in on taking care of really comes up so you you hear the hurricanes coming in you've thought about your family because you need your family to be prepared you've checked on your widows your 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 shut-ins and things Mm -hmm. then what do you do and at what point do you start making plans for what how you're going to help or do something after the storm okay so the storm came through and i want to say actually i think we canceled service um, you did. I remember you did a live stream on Facebook Live. Yeah, because service. the wind was so bad. Trees were down everywhere. Yeah. And so we didn't have service. Um, that day I did a, a Facebook Live event and then went to a, a large church nearby just so I could have a chance to go worship somewhere. Um, but, but our concern, with our size, we didn't want to... Uh, um, put any of our people in a lot of our people live in the country mm-hmm. so they're driving through back roads with rising uh, waterways down trees stuff like that mm-hmm. now um, I'm, I'm kind of near a highway so I can get to uh, an inner city easily without that threat but so we canceled and then it was the next day I think I went back to the office on Monday and I just hear of the devastation I've got a lot of friends that live on the coast, North Carolina, South Carolina, and I start seeing pictures. I start seeing things going on. Well, at this time, I don't think it's really in my mind, what can we do? We don't even know what the extent is. So I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, you know, maybe we'll just see what the the Baptist Relief, Disaster Relief does. Mm-hmm. I think Monday comes and goes. And the next day, I have a good friend, Michael Anderson, who's director of All for One Ministry in South Carolina, who posted that they were going to be collecting disaster relief buckets. Mm-hmm. And it would have like cleanup sponges, cleaning products, rubber gloves, dust masks, clothespins, just different things. Mm-hmm. And so I was sitting there and saw, okay, there's a need, right? There's a small yeah. need. And... Uh, I remember sitting in my office Tuesday morning seeing this. I'm like, I think I think our people can do this. They would rally. Mm-hmm. And so that afternoon, I got, I got our staff together, uh, probably around lunchtime. And I said, hey, here's a need. You think we could put it out there and get some supplies, get some stuff by Wednesday? So we... Um, 
I want to say the first thing we did was uh, we drove around to Lowe's, and I bought every single five-gallon bucket yeah. that Lowe's Home Improvement had. And I think they had, I want to say, like 40. Yeah. Okay? And then I had um, our secretary was driving around to other Lowe's trying to find buckets. So we were like, all right, let's get buckets. So we got uh, the 40 buckets, everything we could find. And I called Michael Anderson with All for One, and I said, hey, can we collect buckets? And because they were doing it through like a Chick Fil A or something. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Yeah, man, as many as you want. How many can you get?" I said, "Well, we'll probably get forty or 50. And he's like, "Wow, that's a lot." Because it takes probably fifty dollars to fill one bucket. Yeah. Uh, with with all the cleaning supplies um, things. So I did a Facebook video um, saying, "Hey, all of our church members, anyone in the community, if you can start bringing donations, bring it today, tomorrow, drop it off mm-hmm. at the church." Uh, uh, so cleaning products, rubber gloves, and I kind of listed off the major things that we needed. Yeah. Within probably four hours, people started bringing stuff. Okay. And I was like, man, this is great. This is exciting. Well, then we sent a call them all to all our members, uh, giving them a list, sent it out to our Sunday school classes. Like, Hey, this Sunday school classes go find, you know, explain, to- explain to the listeners what call them all is. Okay. That's a good question. So it's like a phone tree, which uh, I, know, I know not every church probably has this. Ours does it through a website, so we can call every member in the church in like 30 minutes. And all you do is you call a number to record your message. It goes out to every single church member, which would be super helpful. If there's yeah. a death a death in the church, uh, church cancellation, special announcement, something like that. Yeah. So a lot of our senior adults don't have Facebook, so the call them all is super helpful at that mm-hmm. time. So Wednesday comes, and we've got a few donations, and then I'm thinking to myself, well, what are we going to do if people don't come and donate things? So we start going like to Dollar Tree and getting some supplies. Now, this whole time, I'm like, okay, what budget's this going to come out of? Mm-hmm. Okay, we don't necessarily have a disaster relief budget. Yeah. So we do have like a missions budget, and I'm thinking, well, most people are going to bring things. But then... We're starting to go get other buckets and on and on and on. Well, as we're doing that, we get a phone call from a church up in Michigan, and they're a mutual friend of a friend. And they said, we heard your church was doing something. They said, our association's really small. Their association has five Baptist churches. Oh, wow. Yeah. They said, our five Baptist churches would like to get together, and can you use some funds for flood relief? And I told them what we're doing. I said, this will help us buy some supplies. So it was literally that day. And and here's what I found. I found when God's people respond and want to minister, that God does begin opening doors of provision. Now, I don't want to sound charismatic. I'm not saying you're going to get, you know, a jetliner and go around however you want, fly and stop. But what I am saying is that God provides needs for ministries mm-hmm. who are doing it for the purpose of the gospel. So in this case, I had no idea where this was going to come from. Got a phone call from an association in Michigan who I've never talked to before and said, we're going to send you some funds. At the time, I didn't know how much it was. Mm-hmm. It could have been $200. I don't know. So we're just stepping out in faith, praying for God to provide. Mm-hmm. So this is Wednesday. About lunchtime, it just starts pouring in. People start coming in 
from our church, people I've never met before, are coming to our church. So here's what I found, that people want to serve and people want to minister to others, but unless they see the avenues to do so, they're not going to respond. But once people see a simple avenue... They will step up, and I found that true of my church in many, many situations. So, um, you know, you, you might not can do large-scale things depending on your church, your situation, but try to find something or some ministry where there is a little thing you can do. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing: a little thing done with a lot of compassion. And excitement is actually a big thing. Yes. So all in all, how many buckets did y'all end up getting together with all these donations coming in? It was over 130 buckets that we collected. And and you originally, just on y'all's... What you figured you could do in your own might, y'all started off with 40, yeah. what you thought, and then with I all thought, these things flooding in, you got over 130. Yeah, I thought if we get 40, we'd be doing great. Yeah. And... So much stuff came in. We had to go the next day and mm-hmm. find more buckets. Well, all right. So as you've been telling this story, I've been sitting here just internally um, building an order of operations in my head. If I was going to do a checklist yeah. for what you can do, and I'm going to base it off of your situation, sure. um, which I think things probably as the Lord has worked that in your life probably went pretty well um, and miraculous, I would say, with all these people coming in. So what I would say maybe first I'm seeing is uh, prepare your family. If you're a pastor, you need to have your family, your home taken care of yeah because like you said you cannot help anyone else if you were trapped you were hurt you are not prepared yeah um second thing is i would say really should have been the first in my order of operations would be just prayer and i think obviously you probably you didn't highlight it but i know you and i know that this whole process was saturated in prayer right um and and as you're seeing if it's a we're talking about a hurricane that's something that's a disaster you get to watch you get to see it come in so you have the moments of waiting and praying and and seeking things out you have taken care of yourself you've used your deacon chain to communicate with your widows and shut-ins you've taken care of the least, the most vulnerable of your church. Yeah. Um, that is something you can do in preparation when you know something. Um, maybe it's a little different when disaster strikes and it's not something you can prepare for. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, if you can prepare for it, those are good things to do. Um, and then it's just the waiting. And then after the disaster struck, you ended up reaching out. You waited to see what, because we're Southern Baptists, and I know not everyone who listens to this is Southern Baptist, but you waited to see what our denominational entities, which are have well-developed disaster relief, were going to do. Yeah. Um, and then you looked for um, an avenue to yeah. serve, um, and then you latched onto that. And one of the, one of the other things is I, I find that a lot of times, you know, It'll be weeks or months before the damage is fully assessed. Mm -hmm. And by that time, it's almost out of people's mind. And so finding something that you can do nearest to the time as possible where it gets people involved. Yes. There's an emotional aspect where we feel that pain. Yep. You know, we're looking on the TV. We're seeing people's lost everything. Yep. And and so I do remember, and you mentioned prayer that Tuesday morning, and I was just praying, Lord, I don't know what we can do, 
but I know that we want to help people. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's that attitude, it's that sort of connection with God's heart of wanting mm-hmm. to be an outreach and a ministry for the gospel. Let me let me say one other thing. Every flood bucket got all the supplies plus got a gospel of John and a gospel tract. And we prayed, we, we had, oh, this is another point. On Thursday, we had our ladies ministry come out they packed the buckets and prayed over every single bucket. Mm-hmm. We also assembled a care package in these buckets with crackers, uh, like some soap, um, just some encouraging scriptures. Mm-hmm. Something says, we prayed for you. you know. Yeah. And so this was a ministry. This was not just meeting a physical need, which that's important, but we wanted this to minister spiritually to those people who are working in the cleanup. Yes. Another aspect was a month later, um, as we and, and that's the good thing we got got it done early, so these buckets were there. So as the Southern Baptist started sending disaster relief teams, AFO was hooked up with some of these organizations. We sent our youth group down there to hand these buckets out to these disaster relief teams. Mm-hmm. So not only did we get to pack those, we got to distribute those to personally the workers yes. and the cleanup crews. So um, I know I kind of got way ahead, but I wanted to keep telling the story a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for finishing that. Uh, well, and I want to be practical in what we can do as small church shepherds. But I also, you can't really dig into the pragmatics of it without thinking theologically about this for a sure. second. And, and, and you mentioned something about people wanting to help. And I think that that goes for Christians and non-Christians. Right. When we see disaster strike... Even especially when it is something close to us, and like I'm, I'm on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, yeah. we we are very familiar with hurricanes, yeah. and and the people in my church and in our community, when we see someone else, even if it's not in Mississippi, that is hit by a hurricane, that strikes a chord, yeah. and it's like do we want to help with that more than anything else, and, and that all goes back to that humanity is created in the Imago Dei, we are mm. created in the image of God, and and I see that that compassion for the hurting so just intrinsic. We were actually talking about this last night of in Mark on the feeding of the 4,000. Mm-hmm. You have Jesus looking out on the multitude. And what does it say? And it says this multiple times in some various stories of Jesus' ministry. Mm-hmm. He felt compassion because yeah. they were like lost sheep without a shepherd. Yeah. Um, and then another account of that, I believe in Matthew, right after that, as he feeds them, he shares the story of him being the the bread of life. Um, and what that reason I'm bringing this back around is that we intrinsically mm-hmm. have that compassion because we're creating God's image, but Christians even more because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit in us, we are going to want to serve. And if you're sitting here and, and you're listening to this and you're thinking, look, Jonathan, Jesse, my, you just don't know my church. I right. can't, I can't mobilize them. Who are we going to do? Right. You are underestimating your saints. Yeah. Like you are, you are drastically underestimating your saints. You're underestimating the work of the Holy Spirit, um, if, if you provide an opportunity, they will serve. And the second point, theologically, before we get more into practice, is when Jesus fed the people, he had compassion. He did not just feed them physical food, but he gave them spiritual food as well. Right. Um, and and 
disaster relief does not have to simply be a mercy ministry. It can become mission. And when y'all took that time to put Bibles and tracts and the Gospel of John and then then go and get to deliver these things, y'all transformed. And you weren't, I don't even know if you were going to make this point, but as something I'm seeing, watching and listening to your story, you transformed simple mercy ministry into servant evangelism and missions. Um, And and I think that if we, we view this as disaster relief is not just if if helping people and having compassion was not enough for you right it is also fulfilling of the great commission um well we have to understand too that there are a countless number of secular agencies that will go and meet physical needs yes uh that will help with uh damage uh restoration um feeding and so uh, this is the question what sets Christians apart if we're doing the same thing the secular world is doing? Mm-hmm. And it must be our mission of the gospel. And so as I told my church, as we were collecting these supplies, I said, you know, our goal is these people who've lost everything find that there's something that they can hope in that they don't ever lose. Right, mm-hmm. because physical things are not guaranteed. Exactly, um, they've just been reminded of that. <laughs> yeah, and so, so, you know, how how do you minister to someone who's lost everything? Well, you you can't give all their stuff back, mm-hmm. but you can tell them about a hope that's greater than stuff that lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And, and that was our goal there. So I think that's an incredibly valid point about. Uh, Disaster relief is like, for example, I remember in 2006, I believe, I took a youth group down to Gulfport, Mississippi, during the uh, the, the flooding issues that happened down there. It was 06 or 07, I can't remember, but it was in Gulfport. Uh, I think was that after the huge hurricane? Uh, Katrina was in 05. Okay, so I think it was the next the next summer. So it was 06. We went down there, and so we were doing like a lot of uh, repainting. Um, uh, helping some people get moved back in, mm-hmm. but in the process, there there was one house we were working on. That, well, there was no one living in this house, so we were just putting stuff up. And I'm like, well, this is great, but how are we sharing the love of Jesus here? Well, the guy across the street kept coming on his front porch and seeing what we were doing. And so some of our, our youth would go over there and just minister to him, take him some food, take him some water, minister to him, and got to pray with him every single day. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the key. If no one ever saw uh, the visible display of, of charity and love, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a, a ministry because you're not reaching someone who doesn't know Christ. So there, there has to be that variable there of tangibly communicating the gospel to someone through those acts of service. Exactly. And so now that we've got this whole theological bent behind us, um, getting back into the practicality of how in the world are we going to do this? If you're a small church pastor, you don't know how you're going to do it. Number one, those buckets. It was really, honestly, the first time I'd seen disaster relief buckets. Mm -hmm. But since then, I have learned that that is actually a very common thing um, uh, for people to do. And and those disaster relief buckets are are good. They've used, I've seen them used since then in the wildfires in California. Mm -hmm. 
I've seen the disaster relief buckets used for flooding victims. Mm-hmm. I've seen them used for hurricane victims. Um, so there's all sorts of things. So that, if you just want to have, hey, one practical thing you can do that's simple, you can do disaster relief buckets, all yeah. right, at the very least. And if you, whether your church can get one together or five or 40 or 130, you know, whatever it is, um, whatever you can do, that is something you can do. Uh, I think a second thing to kind of remember when you're doing this, too, is a small church is that there's not at least here in America uh, I can't say this all over the world but at least here in America you can be guaranteed that you're not going to be the only one responding to a disaster right and so you're you're whatever you're doing as part of a cumulative whole um, that is going to help the situation you are doing good you you are not insignificant in in your gift or your service or or, or your aid that you give um, and, and but I think there is something important about churches, um, especially small churches, because where do disasters strike? They in small towns, small towns, communities. Um, So what you have in churches that are ready and, 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 and at least mentally equipped, even if you don't have all the supplies to go and do this, if you have people who are in churches, local churches, ready and willing to serve, what you actually have is you have miniature disaster relief outposts yep. sprinkled all over the country. And right. like I'm from the South. And so that means, you know, within a one mile radius, there's seven churches. Yeah. And so like, uh, you know, if all of us are prepared to help disaster, there's nothing that's going to strike our community that we will not be able to try to help with and that we will not be able to respond to first. Right. Um, and so uh, also thinking of your story of how you helped your family, the widows and the orphans reaching out. Um, you can correct me on this, but I almost see a picture of um, concentric circles, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, work inside your fr- the smallest ring, which is your family. Right. And then that bigger ring right outside of that is the most vulnerable in your church. Maybe it's widows. Maybe it's shut-ins. Maybe it's the handicap mm-hmm. that you have in your—, in your um, Maybe it's uh, families where um, one of the spouses— is big thing where I live on the coast of having oil rig spouses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, maybe you need to check on those wives and children that their husbands are off. Right. You know, um, that's your next big one. And then I think you, your step outside of that is, is my immediate community affected by this? Right. Is this something that I need to serve? Um, then you go state, national from that. Yeah. Um, what are some very practical, not buckets, mm-hmm. what are some other very practical ideas that you think small churches could do for disaster relief that will have an impact? Um, the first thing that I would, I would see is to find what skills exist already in your church. Let me kind of change gears just a little bit. Speaking okay. of disaster relief, our church has been heavily involved in Haiti after the earthquake that happened in 2011. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, we have a gentleman, and we've been going there several times a year. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but we have a team going down there in two weeks that's taking some mechanics. 
and they're going to be teaching classes on motorcycle mechanics because down in Haiti, the most common vehicle is a, a little motorbike, a dirt bike. Mm-hmm. They're uh, a lot cheaper than cars, and you can't even drive with a car because traffic's so terrible. Yeah. So they're going to teach these industries uh, down there how to work on motorcycles. Um, we've had ladies groups that have gone down there to teach sewing classes. And so I would say start by identifying who in your church has skill sets. Mm-hmm. You got some men that own some chainsaws. Mm-hmm. Okay, there you go. You already got a rudimentary uh, response group in case you have storms come through. Yep. Um, maybe you've got some unused storage space in your church. I know before I came on staff at my church, at one time uh, they had a food pantry. And they would stock a food pantry for anyone in the community that was um, out of work or something Mm -hmm. like that. And that's something a lot of churches can easily do. People can drop stuff off. Maybe you have a situation where, uh, like like recently happened in North and South Carolina Coast, the roads were so shut off, supplies couldn't get in. Grocery Mm -hmm. stores shut down. And people were literally on emailing, Facebooking, says... Can you bring food down here to meet us? Mm-hmm. All right. So if churches can have just little, what can your church do? Identify yeah. that first. And you, you might not even be able to use it right now. Mm-hmm. But just having some form of readiness gets you in that mode of thinking. That would be a first thing to do. Yeah, and and I like the idea. My church does a little food pantry too, and yep. it's not much. But um, uh, just a side note, quick way to get in with having a good food pantry. Uh, every year, the post office does the brown paper bag um, collection, and if you are a church, you can go to your post office and you know sign a couple forms, mm-hmm. and they will give you. Um, any donations they have that they really? pick up, yes. Yeah, so yeah. you, that's like an annual restock you can have to your to your food pantry, um, and your food pantry that is normally for the needy in your community can very quickly become disaster relief food for people. Um, I I would encourage that actually. Um, we had to take out the room that was our food pantry to put a Sunday school class there, but I would encourage most churches to have some form mm-hmm. some form of food pantry because. The question is not if a disaster hits, it's when. when some form of a disaster is going to come through. You look at the wildfires we've just seen. Mm-hmm. You look at, uh, you know, out west, tornadoes, uh, hurricanes, flooding, snowstorms. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Where, where we're at, snowstorms cripple us for a while. And everyone makes fun of us up north, but we don't have the types of machinery that deal with snowstorms in, in North Carolina. Yeah. And so things shut down. And that's just the way we deal with it. Um, but churches can be a huge resource with something mm-hmm. like a food, a food pantry. I would say things to keep in mind. Um, like I said, know your skills of your church. Um, do you have an electrician? Do you have people who can work chainsaws? Do you have someone who owns a tractor? Mm-hmm. You know, the, like these types of things <laughs> can be huge yeah. um, in just helping your community. And um I guarantee you that if you load a tractor up on a trailer and drive to a disaster site, 
they don't care who you are. They're going to put you to work. Right. They're going to use you. You know, you you show up in a truck full of people with work gloves on. They're going to use you. They don't care. Yeah. You know, um, uh, a lot of places, especially if you're a Mississippi Baptist, they want you to be certified. Yeah. And if you're going to be an official Mississippi Baptist disaster relief, you do need to get your certificate. They will not let you wear your Mississippi Baptist uniform and use a chainsaw unless you're chainsaw certified and right. things like that. But there's nothing stopping you as a church, just as a local church going. So don't let, oh, if you're Southern Baptist Church, don't let, oh, we don't have our disaster relief certificates. There is nothing stopping you as a local church um, going out and helping somewhere. Um, and there are plenty of people who would be glad to receive your help. Um, yeah. What do you have? Do you have those? Those are immediate needs. Um, do you have generators? And is your where you have um, lived and where your church is is your community healed enough to where you can put those generators to use elsewhere right. um, those are those are also things you can do I, I, we could go on forever yeah. with talking about this um, I, I want to ask you do you have any last thoughts or anything you want to add to this discussion before I close it out well uh, you know we asked some, some small things we could do um there, there's also some things, depending on what we say a small church is, some big things you could do. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I was on staff at a church one time that at, owned a, a closed-in trailer and stocked the whole thing with shovels and chainsaws and uh, circular saws, tools. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they paid for that like in maybe two years with fundraiser golf tournaments. Um, and so the Baptist men raised all the money, stocked it themselves, built it themselves, and that thing was amazing. Yeah. Because we could, you know, if there was something that happened, we could pick right up, head to a coast or head to a disaster relief area, and start working. We had so it's like a, a flood bucket, but you haul it behind a truck. Yeah. And so it was prepared. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been. I mean, I grew up in small churches all my life. They're full of carpenters, mm-hmm. plumbers electricians, guys that have skills and have tools. And we're not ostracizing women by no means because uh, there's so many things that can happen uh, with with women also. Women can come and do the work as well. So yeah. I'm just saying looking at skills, um, take that inventory. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's another thing a lot of people think, well, we can't do that. Well, maybe you can if you just will ask people who have those skills, how do you think mm-hmm. it can happen? So it just starts there. It starts having those conversations. Yeah. I would. Let's. I would like to encourage you to do a few things. Um, number one, if you're listening and you've had some experience with disaster relief, send us your ideas, things you've done that have been successful. Send it to smallchurchshepherds at gmail.com. Um, we would love to hear back from you. Hit us up on Facebook um, and, and comment. That's probably the most active place you can you can reach us at. Send us a message on Facebook Messenger um, with your ideas of disaster relief. That's the first thing I want you to do. Second thing is I want you as a small church pastor to index your church. And what I mean by that is I want you to actually sit down, assess the skills and giftedness you have in your church, and think about in advance some very practical ways that you can prepare for disaster relief because we never know when it's going to strike. 
but we can control how prepared we are in preparation for it. Um, and so have some just plans laid out um, so that you know next time a hurricane rolls in, we're going we're gonna to try to do these things. It never hurts to think ahead. Um, and, and lastly, if you could do anything at all that helps with disaster relief, you can pray. Right. You can pray, you can pray, you can pray. Find a church in a community that has been affected by disaster relief. I mean, that has been affected by disaster and try and get in contact with their pastor and pray for them specifically. Find just one church and pray for that church in the community they're in. And maybe that'll even set you up for long-term commitment. Um, it's It's been several months since Hurricane Harvey hit Panama City. There are still people there struggling. There are still people there that do not have good roofs on their homes. There's still trash everywhere. There's still debris. I mean, there is still disaster relief that needs to be happening. Uh, I know that there were, um, when the floods hit Dallas and Houston and Texas, um, they were doing disaster relief for over a year after that happened and it wasn't getting press you weren't getting people talking about it so the people in your church are going to forget but if you form an intentional partnership with a church and a community that has been affected by disaster you can set yourself up to help in the long haul Um, and also if you're sitting there and you're thinking i'm just i've run out of ideas you have someone who is actually there hurting in need and they can say, this is what we need. And then you have that time to work on that and try to meet those needs. Um, thank you, Jesse, for coming on this with us. I know we've had a long day at this conference and yeah. we're, um, which has but, been about missions, which has been about missions. So, I mean, it kind of fits this topic. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate your experience and your friendship. And um, I'm glad you are able to do this with me. So everyone else, just uh, as I take you out, thank you for listening. Um, check us out on Twitter, at Small Shepherd or at Shepherd Small. Um, on, on Twitter, on Facebook, we're at Small Church Shepherds. And remember our blog post at smallchurchshepherds.com. We'd love to hear your uh, ideas for podcast episodes. Or if you just want to hit us up with questions you want us to answer, um, send us an email at smallchurchshepherds at gmail.com. Um, Grace and peace. Thank you.